0: I am really excited about everything that God's doing through the ministry. We're just seeing wonderful things happen. People are hungry for the word of God. You know, sometimes you don't have that perspective. People, most people don't travel the way that I do. And as a result, you stay in one church, you stay in one locale or something. And if you know there's a problem in the church, if the uh, attendance is down or if something's happening, you tend to get a Perspective that man, things aren't going well. But I travel and I see just everywhere we go, such an intense hunger for the things of God. It is tremendous. There is a great move of God in the earth, and some people don't have that perspective. But I'm just telling you, it is so. And actually, the United States is one of the hardest places to minister that there is. You go into these foreign countries, and I mean, people are are uh, it's just amazing. Our, our students go to all of these different places for their missions trips. And you know, the hardest place for missions is here in the United States and in Europe, the places that used to be the stronghold of the gospel. But now those places you go over there. And I remember our students went to Germany and they were just rebuffed. People would yell at them and it was negative and. There is a lot of criticism, but you go to Nicaragua, you go to Belize, you go to Argentina, you go to India, South Africa, and all of these places. And people are so hungry. They'll come out by the hundreds and by the thousands to hear. God is moving in a great way. And there's some things in our developed nations that are really against the gospel. And that's part of what I've been talking about. If you were, how many of you, this is your first service that you've made? You were not here last night. Could I see your hand? And we got a lot of new people. Real quickly, let me just say that I started ministering last night out of Ephesians chapter 4, and I started with verse 11, and I went from verse 11 down through verse 17, and I didn't finish, I just quit in verse 17. So I'm going to continue this again this morning. We were talking a lot about the way that the church was meant to be. God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to perfect the saints so that the saints could do the work of the ministry. And I spent a lot of time last night talking about that. Our church system, the way that it's set up where it's all a monologue and one person stands up and does all of the ministry and the other people just sit there is not the way that God intended it to be. We're supposed to be making disciples so that people can go out and do the work of the ministry. And we spent a lot of time talking about that. Let's go back to verse 17. This is Ephesians 4, 17. And it says, "'This I say therefore and testify in the Lord "'that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk "'in the vanity of their mind.'" And this is what I ended on last night. The word vanity," if you look it up in the Strong's concordance, it means the transientness and uh, inutility of your mind. That just means't you aren't using your mind. And then when you do use your mind, it's not focused. It's transient. It's just hit and miss. It's, uh, we're amused. We're uh, just being entertained. And Paul said, this one thing I do, Philippians 3.13. And the way that you're going to really prosper is to start using your mind, focusing your attention on one thing, and that's seeking first the kingdom of God, putting your mind on the Lord. And that's what we were talking about last night. So verse 17 says, don't be like the people that don't know the Lord, who aren't focused on the things of God. They are allowing their mind to just go and be led anywhere. You know, it amazes me the way that Christians look at the same stuff that the ungodly look at. They read the same stuff that the ungodly reads. They listen to all of the same music, the same stuff. They get the same input and they want and expect different results. It's just crazy. It's crazy to think that if we do the exact same thing as the people who don't know the Lord does, that we are going to get anything other than the same results. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As he thinks in his heart, so is he. Your life is going the the direction of your dominant thought. That's not something that people like to hear. They like to blame it. And they say, oh, you know, you don't understand. There's a demon that's attacked me. You don't understand. I was raised and I was abused when I was a child. You don't understand. It's the color of my skin. It's a lack of my education. It's because the government hasn't done more for me. It's because, and we point, you know, this started with Adam. He says, it's that woman that you gave me. We all like to pass the buck to somebody else. But I'm telling you, this, this may not feel good to you, but it's the truth. It says right here that we're supposed to speak the truth in love. I'm saying this in love. But brothers and sisters, your life is the way that it is because of the way you think. As you think in your heart, that's the way that your life is, period, period. No exceptions, no parentheses. Your life is the way that it is because of the way you think. If you want your life to change, don't pray for a new mate. Don't pray to win the lottery. Don't pray for something out here to happen. Change the way you think, and your life will change. Man, that is profound. I wished I could make every person on the earth believe that. Right now we're in a political cycle and they're all talking about what they're going to do to do this. And you know what? I believe that we need godly leaders. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't elect godly leaders and stuff like that. But you know, it wouldn't matter if you had the most godly people on the face of the earth in office. America is the way that it is because the people are not seeking God and putting God first. It was John Adams, our first vice president and the second president of the United States who said that America is totally unfit for anybody but a moral people. If America ever ceases to be moral, democracy will kill us. And that's what's happening. People are not voting godly because they aren't godly. It doesn't matter to them about a person's morality and stuff like this. And we've lost the battle of changing people and it's reflected in our politics. We have people in that are ungodly and they commit adultery and do all kinds of stuff because that's no longer an important issue to the average person. And it's because of the way this nation thinks that our politics are going the direction that they're going. So what do you do? Change politics? No, change the way people think. And then they'd start voting in godly people who had character and and things were important to them. And whether you can make the connection or not, it's the same in every person's life. You may sit there and think, well, I'm sick and I didn't think sick. Yeah, you did. You may not have thought, I want to have multiple sclerosis, but your thinking was sick. You were thinking things like, I'm only human. I'm just a man. I'm just a woman. I can't do anything. That's sick thinking. I'm not only human. One third of me is wall to wall Holy ghost. I now have the power of God living on the inside of me. (laughs) Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But most Christians even think, well, it's flu season. And, and you know, it's just natural. You just get the flu. If you think that way, you got sick thinking and that will open you up to the flu. That'll open you up to arthritis. That'll open you up to multiple sclerosis. That will allow things to come on you. And you think, well, I didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, you did. If you would have been thinking the way that God spoke to you and resisting the devil, he would have fled from you. And you do not have to be sick. You do not have to be poor. You do not have to be depressed. I'm amazed how many people today think that depression is just some kind of a chemical, natural thing and that you can't control it. That is absolutely untrue. And I know some of you are thinking, who are you to say this? All of the doctors, all of the, these are people that don't believe in God. These are people that don't look to God as the source of anything. They're trying to find a physical, chemical reaction for everything. And I'm telling you, if you're depressed, it's because your thinking is all screwed up. Was that too subtle? <laughs> it says, don't be like the lost. Don't think the way that they think or you're going to get the same results that the ungodly get. And this is what's happening to people today. They don't know who they are. They don't know what God has done. We're thinking in the natural. We're thinking that God, I'm nobody. I have nothing. I can do nothing, but God, you can do all things. And so they pray out of desperation but they don't know who they are. They don't know the power that they've got. And that allows Satan to come in and still kill and to destroy. It says, don't think like that. And look at verse 18. This is really, really powerful. It says, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart man, there is so much in that. I've got a series out there entitled Christian philosophy that came out of this verse. I've got a series out there entitled harnessing your emotions that came out of this verse. I've got probably 10 of my teachings came out of this verse, meditating on these things that are in here. This is just powerful. It says that you have your understanding darkened. The word for understanding, the Greek word is dianoia, and it means deep thought. Understanding isn't just thought, it's deep thought, is what the word literally means. It was translated imagination in Luke chapter 1, I believe it was verse 51. It was, uh, anyway, the understanding is your ability to take information and put it together and come up with an understanding of how things work. And it's amazing how people today, it's just like they don't understand. Um, I could get into politics here and talk about, I just wonder sometimes about what do people not understand? It's like, uh, you you come into an economic, you know, let me break it down. If you were, if you were to have a financial crisis in your family, and let's just say that, man, you owed more money than you could ever pay back. How do you solve that situation? You know, on a, personal scale, what we would do is quit spending as much money. We would start saving more money. And that's the way that somebody would do it. If you've been spending more, if you were in debt, you would quit increasing it. What we do on a national scale is add more debt to it. It just defies logic. How can you get out of debt by going deeper in debt? And yet there's people that do this and you just wonder what part of this do they not understand? And it's because their understanding is darkened. It's been obscured. In the uh, book of Proverbs, it says, get wisdom. And with all you're getting, get understanding. You have to understand. Understand is the ability to put things together and see things in God's light. And it says here that if you, in verse 17, if you are walking like the lost, if you are looking at, listening to, reading, thinking the same way that people that don't know God think, then you are going to have your understanding darkened. You won't be able to see and perceive. And again, I'm saying this in love. I'm not saying anything to hurt people. I'm trying to help really Some of you may wonder, but I am trying to help. But I have people come to me and say things and I just think, how could you have got into this mess? You couldn't do this in the natural. It's impossible for one person to have their life so screwed up. It has to be demonic. You couldn't have done this on your own. And I just wonder, how can people go so far? How can they get so bitter? How can they get into such terrible situations? And it's because their understanding has been darkened it's been obscured. And it goes on to talk about that you are alienated from the life of God that is in you. If you are born again, God himself lives on the inside of you. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is on the inside of every one of us. But you know, it has to go through your thinking, through your understanding. If your thinking is crossways to what God says, then it's just like a valve on a pipe or on a faucet. You can turn that thing and you can shut off the flow of water. You could be tapped into the city water supply. You could have billions of gallons of water, and yet you could have that faucet shut off and you could dive thirst inches from life-giving water because everything is shut off and none of that is flowing through you. And this is the way that Christians are. We've got the life of God on the inside of us, but our mind is so crossways to it that not one drop of the life of God flows through us. And people are dying with sickness and disease when the whole time you've got resurrection power already living on the inside of you. And some of you are thinking, no, I don't have that. All I've got is sickness. See, that's part of the thinking. This goes back to that teaching. If you got my book on spirit, soul, and body, in your spirit, you've already been completely changed. You are as saved in your spirit right now as it will ever be in eternity. Your spirit is identical to Jesus. It has his wisdom, his knowledge, his power, his anointing, his healing, In your born again spirit, you've got the life of God, but it's got to go through your brain before it can reach your body. And if you're sitting there thinking, oh God, would you stretch forth your hand and heal me? And oh, there's demonic spirits over Orlando that is blocking our prayers from getting up to God. That's the reason that you aren't seeing the healing power of God because you think God's power is out there somewhere. You don't know that it's already on the inside of you. You've already got everything that you ever need. I've got a book entitled, You've Already Got It. That came out of this teaching. And did you know you've already got it? What you're trying to get, you've already got. Oh God, heal me. And he says, by his stripes, you were healed. First Peter two twenty four. Why are you asking God to give you something that you've already got? It's that thinking, see, that blocks the flow of God because the life of God is in your spirit But that has to come through your mind before it can get out into your body. You're asking God to bless you and prosper you. And oh God, help me to win the lottery. That kind of thinking is gonna stop the flow of God's spirit because that is an ungodly principle. God will never help you win the lottery. God is not into that. If you were to win the lottery, it'll take away the life of the owner thereof is what it says in the book of Proverbs. Wealth gotten by vanity which you could explain that in a lot of ways, but I can guarantee you the lottery, raffles, something else is all vanity and wealth gotten by that way takes away the life of the owners thereof. Statistics will back it up that people who win the lottery, the vast majority of them are worse off financially after 10 years than they were before they won the lottery. And you think, how could that be? Because it's not how much money you've got. It's the way you think on the inside that makes your finances the way they are. If you're poor, you're thinking poor. As you think in your art, that's the way that you are. And it wouldn't matter if somebody gave you You $100,000. It would help you briefly for a brief period of time, but you would be back in the same situation as you're in right now if you continue to think the way you think right now. As you think in your heart, that's the way that you are. Thank you for that thunderous silence. (laughs) And see, this is one of the reasons that people aren't experiencing more of the blessing of God because you don't agree with what the Word says. We're more moved by what the world has to say and our carnal reasoning and stuff. The Bible says, if you give, it'll be given unto you, blessed. You'll be blessed, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. And yet many people lean under their own understanding and say, man, I need this money. I can't give. And you know what that does? That just like turns the valve. It shuts off the flow of the Holy Spirit because you're thinking like the world. And if you think that way, all you are gonna reap Is death. All you're going to reap is problems. Romans chapter 8, verse 6 To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That is an axiom in the Word of God, it is an unchangeable law, it never changes. If you think spiritually minded, John 6:63 6, says the words that I speak unto you they are spirit and they are life. If you think according to the word of God and then follow that through with actions, all you will get is life and peace. If you have death in your life, which isn't just talking about physical death, but depression, discouragement, poverty, sickness, Anger, unforgiveness, anything that's a result of sin is death. Romans 6, 23 says, what's uh, the wages of sin is death. Anything that comes as a result of sin is death. And if you have any form of death operating in you, it's because you are carnally minded. That's it. So what most people do is they keep being carnally minded and pray for spiritual results, but they're going to keep thinking wrong. They're going to keep depressed. They're going to keep listening to the world. They're going to keep following these things. And then they want different results. The Bible says, as you think in your heart, that's the way you are. Proverbs 23, 7. Isaiah 26, three says, the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him. Your peace is linked to what you think on. Likewise, depression is linked to what you think on. If you are depressed, it's because you're thinking on depressing things. Amen. This is so simple. You got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. But boy, we've had a lot of help misunderstanding it. Most of us are thinking like the lost. We listen to their news. We listen to their interpretation of things. All they're going to do is tell you all the rotten stuff. If you are listening to the news, trying to be informed, you are misinformed. The news is not representing things accurately. They twist, they manipulate, they change things. You know, I saw an ad on the internet. I get my reports on the internet and they have these things and Obama comes up with an ad that oil production is up. I forgot how much. And then I saw an ad yesterday that was just the opposite, that that's a lie, it's down. Both of them can't be right. Somebody's lying to us. I'm not even sure which it is. I got my suspicions, but I'm just saying that you can go to the news and one will say this, one will say this. If you are going and depending upon the news to keep you informed, you are misinformed. You need to go to the word of God and people think, but that's not gonna tell me what's going on. I guarantee you, you'll have better understanding If you look at things through the word of God, then the person who's plugged into the news all day long and into the paper and all this kind of stuff. I know some of you think I'm meddling now. This isn't preaching the gospel, but this is what this is talking about. That if you think like an unbeliever thinks in the vanity of their mind, your understanding will be darkened. You will be alienated from the life of God that is in us because of the blindness of our heart. And that word blindness, that exact same word that is translated blindness in Ephesians 4, 18 is also translated hardness in Mark chapter three, verse five. It's talking about the hardness, the insensitivity of your heart. Being plugged into this world hardens our heart towards God. This world is all about manipulation, rejection, criticism. There's anger, there's bitterness. It's just, you know, the few times that I look at television, it's just ungodly the commercials, the things that are on. It's pitiful. Even if you could find a godly program, the commercials would kill you. It's just ungodly. And the scripture says over in 1 John chapter 2, I forget what verse, it's around verse 16, 22, someplace in there, it says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. And brothers and sisters, we got a lot of people that are loving the world, that are just embracing and plugged into the world. You think like the world and what it does, it darkens your understanding. It alienates you from the life of God that's on the inside, and your heart becomes hardened and insensitive towards God. Amen. This is really simple, but it's profound, and we are more into—we uh, are probably more influenced by our society that we live in than any generation of Christians that have ever lived this is called the information age. Many of us have cable or satellite in our home and we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stations of unbelief in our home that the average Christian never had to deal with. You see things, you, you know what used to, people had maybe their own problems, Maybe their family, you know, they struggled and stuff, but now you can turn on the TV and you can see the problems of people on the other side of the world while it's happening. And we are exposed to problems and we're overwhelmed with information that previous generations never had. And I'm telling you, it's choking the word of God. Mark chapter four, around verse 18 or 19, one of the... Uh, kinds of soil where the word of God was sown. It says that the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things enter in and it chokes the word of God and brothers and sisters. This is very simply what's happening is that we've just got the knowledge of good and evil. That was the original temptation. They weren't satisfied with perfection They weren't satisfied with paradise. They weren't satisfied with fellowshipping with God every day. Satan tempted them that, man, there's more. You aren't getting in on everything. You're missing something. You need to know more. And there was a temptation for the knowledge of more. And you know what that same, we have uh, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in our home with a remote switch. And most of us are giving in to that tree. And we're just constantly looking for something else, looking for all these other things. I'm telling you, we ought to put the effort into the Word of God. This is how Satan comes against you. It's through the way you think. I wish I could just make people believe this. I don't know how to get this cross any more forcefully than what I'm doing. But I'm telling you all of your problems Satan cannot have access to you without your thinking. If he didn't get you to thinking wrong, he couldn't have access to you. I had two people come up to me yesterday and they had demonic problems and wanted me to cast demons out and I said I can cast the demons out and I you could experience relief. But I said it's your thinking that has allowed these demons to have access to you. And if you don't change your thinking, if all I do is cast the demons out, then they'll just go out and get seven more spirits worse than themselves and come right back in as long as you continue to think the way that you did. I said, Satan can't do anything to you without your consent and cooperation. If you quit thinking The way that you're thinking and if you start seeing yourself as I'm the one with power and authority and I resist the devil, he will flee from me. I said, you can get rid of the devil. It's not hard to get rid of the devil. And yet people see or want somebody to just cast the devil out, but they don't want to change the way they think. They're wanting to get healed, but they don't want to change the way they think about things. They want to be prosperous, but they don't want to change their poverty attitude. They want to have better relationships, but they aren't going to change their personality. They aren't going to change the way they think. They're just wanting somebody to get them these things without changing on the inside. And that's abnormal. God, if you want to change, change the way you think. And as a man or a woman thinks in their heart, that's the way that you will be. Look over here in Genesis chapter three. Let me just illustrate this to you. This is where Satan came against Adam and Eve. And man, I could spend a lot of time on this, but you just think about this on your own. Adam and Eve were perfect. They didn't have sin in their life. They weren't a fallen human being. They were still sinless. How do you get sinless people to rebel against God? You know, if somebody came in here today and tried to tempt you to do evil, it would be relatively easy because we've all had a sin nature. We've all sinned. We've all got screwed up thinking. We're all messed up. Satan could come in and tempt you with sexual sin, and many people would fall for it. But how do you tempt Adam and Eve? There wasn't anybody else to have sex with. He couldn't tempt them with sexual sins. He couldn't tempt them with money and lust for things. There wasn't money. There wasn't any house to believe for. There wasn't any clothes to believe for. He couldn't, he couldn't get them anxious and worried about the environment. The environment was perfect. He couldn't get them to gripe it and complaining about politics and who's in there. there wasn't any politics. The weather was perfect. everything was perfect. He, how do you take people who live in paradise and are perfect and visit with God every day in fellowship with God? How do you take people that are perfect and get them to sin? This is a big deal. It's relatively easy to get a person who's a sinner to sin, but how do you get a person who doesn't have any of these problems and any of these things? One of the ways that you can tell Adam and Eve from everybody else in heaven is because they'll be the only people that don't have belly buttons. They didn't have parents that had abused them. They couldn't say it's my dysfunctional family. God was their father. I mean, Adam and Eve are just perfect. So how did Satan come against perfect people in a perfect environment and entice them to sin? Look at this in Genesis chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now I'm gonna go on through some of the rest of this, but think about this. The serpent is what Satan used. We know that Satan was behind this because it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I believe verse three, as you know, the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, your minds would be beguiled or corrupted through the simplicity that's in Christ. And in John 8, 44, it says, Satan is the author of all lies. So this serpent was speaking lies. We know Satan was behind it, but he used an animal. And why did he use a serpent? It says specifically it was the most subtle of all of the animals. The word subtle here is talking about cunning, crafty. This is what the scripture says even in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, uh, "Stand that, or take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against all of the wiles of the devil. The word wiles means lies, deception, cunningness craftiness of the devil. Satan didn't come and use a mammoth to put his foot on Eve's head and say, eat of the tree. He didn't try and force them. He didn't use a tiger, a lion, some animal to come against them and intimidate them. Why not? Because he had no power. Adam and Eve were gods over this earth. Everything was subject unto them. They couldn't force Adam and Eve to do anything. All of those animals were subject to them. There was no way that Satan could force them. Likewise, Satan doesn't force a single person in here into one thing. The devil is not your problem. Now, the devil is against you. He is a force. He's going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I'm not saying that he doesn't exist and I'm not saying that there isn't temptation and deception, but his only power is deception. He has no power to force you to do anything. The real problem is our ignorance and the lies that we've accepted that make us susceptible to the devil's lies. The real problem is the ignorance that's on the inside of us. The Lord said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The reason the truth makes you free is because the moment you know the truth, you aren't deceived anymore. Satan's only power is deception. So he came into an animal that was the most cunning, the most crafty the most sly animal that God had created because he had no power to force Adam and Eve to do anything. And notice what he did. The very first thing he did was attack the word of God. Has God really said? You shall not eat of every tree that's in the garden. He attacked the word of God. And notice also that he came to the woman. Adam was there because down here in the sixth verse, It says that she gave unto Adam her husband who was with her and he did eat. So Adam was there the entire time. It wasn't like he got Eve alone. Adam was there. Adam should have stepped in and Adam should have taken his authority and he should have stopped this. But the reason I believe that Satan came to the woman is because you know what? God gave the command not to eat of this tree before Eve was formed. Look in the second chapter over here. And in verse um, 15, "'And the Lord God took the man "'and put him into into the garden of Eden "'to dress it and to keep it. "'And the Lord commanded the man, "'saying, of every tree of the garden, "'Thou mayest freely eat, "'but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil.'" Uh, thou shalt not eat of it for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And it's in the next verses where he took the rib out of Adam and made Eve. And so God gave this command to Adam before Eve was formed. Eve heard about the command not to eat of the tree. You can see that in verses two and three in Genesis chapter three. She knew about the command, but she got it through Adam. And I believe that the reason that Satan came to Eve and tempted her first was because it wasn't firsthand information. It was secondhand information to her. When something is told you by somebody else, that increases the possibility that maybe it wasn't represented correctly. Maybe not everything was said. You are more susceptible to doubt than if it was said to you directly. You know, if I told Mike here something and then Mike told you, And if you didn't like it, you might think, I wonder if Mike really represented that. I wonder if Andrew really said that. But if I said it to you directly, well, then you'd know that that's what I said. I believe that's the reason that Satan came against Eve is because she was more susceptible to doubt because it wasn't firsthand. And the application of that to our life is that you know what? You've got to get to where God's word is real to you. You can't just say, well, Andrew says... Because the devil will come against you and start saying, well, maybe Andrew, you know, just was blowing smoke. Maybe this isn't really God. Maybe he misrepresented it. Maybe he took a word from God and made a paragraph out of it. And he he can sit there and, and distort things. But if you take what I say and then you pray about it and say, God, what about this? Is this true? And if God speaks it directly to you, you are infinitely stronger and in a much stronger position than if you just heard it secondhand through me. You need to take God's word and make it personal. It needs to be not somebody else said, but God told me. You know, when I first got started in the ministry, of course, I was just like, I guess, anybody else. And I'd quote other people. And I could spend a lot of time on this, but anyway, I just, I would go for a week or two and be good. And then within a couple of weeks of getting criticism in the Baptist church that I was in and people telling me that stuff's of the devil, I would still intellectually be saying the same thing, but it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't bear fruit. And then I'd go back and hear other people and I'd get fired up and I'd go back and quote them. And for a week or two, it'd be good. And the Lord finally spoke to me. He says, the problem is you don't have root in yourself. You're preaching another person's revelation. It's not real to you. You need to make it yours. And I made a decision right then that I was never going to quote somebody else and say, well, this is what so-and-so says, man, I might take what they say, but I'm going to pray about it until God speaks it to me. And I started making the word real to me. And to this day, you know, I can hear somebody and I'll, I, if I recognize that it's from God, I'll pray over it and meditate on it. And in a very short period of time, a day or two or a week, it's mine. And I'll stand up and I'll say, the Lord told me and Jamie will say, you heard so-and-so say that. But you know what? It, I didn't. I might've heard them say it, but by the time I meditate on it, God spoke it to me and I forget who said what because it was God that confirmed it to me. I make the word of God real to me. And this is what you've got to do. The word has to be a revelation to you. You can't live off my revelation. You can take what God is telling me and then you can go to the Lord and pray about it and have God confirm it and speak it to you. But it's got to become your revelation. So I believe that this is why the devil came and tempted Eve is because it was secondhand information. And I'm gonna say some things critical of both Adam and Eve here, but you know what? Uh, They didn't know what they were getting into. They didn't understand what sickness and disease was. They didn't understand war. They didn't know what sin was. And so in a sense, you can give them a pass. They were ignorant. They didn't know what was going on. But we live in a situation where we've seen the effects of sin and we've seen the effects of all of this. And you know what? We can't give us a pass. I'm not mad at Adam and Eve. When I get to heaven, praise God, I'm gonna, you know, I've been forgiven and redeemed the same as they have. I'm not mad at them, but I tell you what, they made some mistakes. They can be excused in a sense, but man, we can't. We know how serious this is. There's no excuse for us. And so Eve, the moment he, the moment this serpent challenged God's word and says, has God really said? That should have been the end of the conversation. That you know what? You're a talking snake. Why should I accept what you've got to say more than what God has said, more than what my husband has said? Why should I listen to you? That should have been the end of the conversation. You should not listen to stuff that is contrary to the Word of God. That's true. And yet many of us were brought up in a system, our school system, our educational system that was contrary to the word of God. We see this today. If a kid is still serving the Lord by the time they start into college, they are gonna be bombarded with ungodliness and making a mockery of God. I tell you what, we shouldn't be listening to those people. We shouldn't send our kids to the world to be educated. And I know that creates problems, but I'm just telling you that that's the way that it is. It's not good. The moment something comes against the word of God, that ought to be the end of the discussion. Did you know if we would apply that standard, most of you wouldn't watch very much television? All you could watch is the gospel truth. (laughs) You would quit watching a lot of television. You'd quit reading a lot of books. You'd quit reading magazines. You'd quit listening to a lot of the music and a lot of the different things. That is absolutely true. But you know what? Most people, it's just like, well, I I don't believe you have to be that way. I'm strong enough. I'm mature enough that it doesn't bother me. First Corinthians 15, 33 says, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. If you think that you can see, watch, hear all of this ungodliness and it not affect you, you're deceived. That's true. That's just the way that it is. That's what the Bible says. And yet most people, I I just don't believe that. You go and watch ungodliness You know, we have these wristbands that says, what would Jesus do? WWDJ. Well, we ought to apply that to, would Jesus watch this program? Would Jesus like this movie? Would Jesus like this novel? Would Jesus read this magazine? But this is how Satan comes. He comes through words. You know, there's a scripture in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, that says, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that shall arise against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me, thus saith the Lord. And it said, notice it says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper and every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. I believe that the way Satan comes against you is the same way he came against Adam and Eve, through words. No weapon. And every word that rises against you, this is how Satan comes against you is through words. Proverbs eighteen twenty one: death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Your words carry life or death. And not only your words, but every word that you hear, every word, it doesn't matter if it's in a song, it doesn't matter if it's in the news, if it's in a movie, if it's in a show. Every word is either life or death. Notice it didn't say death and life and then just a whole bunch of vain words that don't do anything. Every word is either life or or death. Every word. And that's not only your words, that's every word that you hear is either life or death. This is how Satan came against Eve. He attacked the word of God. And the moment she heard something that was contrary to the word of God and began to, to throw doubt on the word of God, that should have been the end of the conversation. She should have said, that's it. I'm not listening to this. God spoke this to my husband. My husband spoke it. I believe it and end the conversation and that, that should have been it. But this is how Satan plants thoughts. You know, a woman came up to me this morning and she had had a motorcycle accident. She was hurt and, and she had healed miraculously. But then they were praying with the woman last week, this lady right down here. And she was talking about how she can, her leg, she nearly lost her leg and yet Jesus healed it. She's able to bend. She's able to get on her knees. She's able to do everything. And she was talking to a woman who had problems with her knee, and that woman started sowing doubt and unbelief that you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. That's not good for you. She's been healed of this for a long time, and since that woman spoke those things, she says I've been having pain in my knees, and asked me to pray for it. You know that's how it happens. Is Satan comes and sows words. people will come and say, man, you're, you're getting older. You're going to have this happen and this happen and this happen. And they start sowing words. You know, one reason that Adam and Eve lived to be 930 years old is because nobody told them at 40, they were over the hill. They didn't know that it was flu season. They didn't know that allergies were normal. They didn't know that they were supposed to be lactose intolerant. Nobody had said these words to them. I know some of you think, well, that has nothing to do with it. I got sick before I ever heard anything about it. That's not true. Somewhere Satan sowed these things into your life and you started thinking like, well, I'm only human. That's wrong. You aren't only human. One third of you is wall to wall, Holy Ghost. See, that kind of thinking is what makes you, you, well, this is what everybody, everybody has this. Who do you think you are? I think I'm God possessed. (laughs) I think I have God living on the inside of me and that I do not have to have the same stuff that everybody else has. Moses was 120 years old. I think it's Deuteronomy 34, seven, somewhere around there. He was 120 years old and his natural force wasn't abated nor his eyesight dim. And the Bible says, second Corinthians chapter three, that what we have is better than what Moses had. There was no glory What Moses had was inglorious compared to what I've had. So if what I've got is better and if he was able to be 120 years old and have good eyesight, then praise God, I can use that as an example instead of what people are saying today. You do not have to have this, but if you think that you do, if you listen to that and if you embrace it, that's how Satan comes in and steals from you is through your thinking. And many of us have just thought, but you know, I'm only human and this is just the way that it is. And you have to be sick. You don't have to be sick. I've had people come to me before and say, well, then how are you going to die? Just go. Jesus gave up the ghost and he left. You don't have to die sick. You don't have to be infirm. We've just adopted so much stinking thinking. We're so far removed from what God intended us to be that we don't even know how far off we are. We look around and take an average and think, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. Man, we we need to be different. So Satan came against the word of God and the moment he said something contrary to the word of God, that should have been it. And yet we still listen to things. You know, it's hard on me to go to these. I love going to national parks and seeing the beauty that God created. But man, you read their little deal and 550 million years ago, all of this happened. And man, the moment I see that, it just grates on me. I do not like people telling me that this earth is millions and billions of years old. We've got some programs coming up in the fall that I encourage you to to watch. You may not like this but it will be good for you. And we've got actual footprints on top of dinosaur prints. They're both in the fossil together. And according to the evolution model, men and dinosaurs were separated by over 500 million years. And the leading evolution is said, if you could ever prove that man existed at the same time as dinosaurs, evolution would completely fall apart. I can show you multiple dinosaur and human footprints on top of each other in the same strata. We've got a hammer that is a six-sided hammer that is in a layer of rock that is supposed to be 500, year, 500 million years before people existed. And yet it's a hammer by anybody's <laughs> definition. You've got strata where there is... Uh, Plants that grow through hundreds of millions of years of strata of rock and one plant is throughout all of those things showing that all of this stuff, what people don't consider is they, they rule out a worldwide flood, a worldwide flood laid down all of this strata of rock that they think took hundreds of millions of years to happen accidentally. It happened instantaneously. And anyway, what I'm saying is the moment I start hearing stuff like this, you know what? I just disconnect because it's contrary to the Word of God. And if I follow their logic, it's going to lead me to conclusions that are wrong. And I base my faith on what the Word of God says instead of what science, quote unquote science says. And some of you think, well, man, that's just ignorant. Anyway, I I don't want to get off my subject. I'm trying to just... But, and I'm trying to make applications to let you see how that we listen to all of this stuff and it leads us to conclusions. We're listening to people who don't believe in God. They don't believe in the spiritual. They are trying to find a physical, mechanical, organic reason for your emotions, for your body. They don't take into account anything spiritual. Jesus cast demons out of people 50% of the time to cause healings. And yet people are always looking for something physical and the doctors can't figure out what it is. They just are baffled. You know why? Because it's not physical. It's demonic. Amen. So the devil came and challenged the word of God. That should have been it. And notice the way that he did it. He said, has God said? He he immediately began to attack whether God really said this. And then he said, has God said, you shall not eat of every tree, which is in the midst of the garden. Did you know the very way that he framed this is very revealing. I don't know how many different trees there were in the garden, but let's just suppose that there was 10,000 fruit trees or 10,000 trees or something that you could eat from. If the devil would have said, has God only given you access to 9,999 trees? If he would have said that, did you know that that would have been presenting the temptation in such a positive way that it wouldn't have been a temptation? If they would have thought about, well, I don't know why God told me not to eat of this one tree, but man, he gave me 9,999 other trees I can eat of. God is a good God. Who cares? But instead of thinking about all of the good, he focused on the one thing in creation that God forbid them to do. I can tell you, if you are fighting depression, this is exactly the same thing that's going on with you. You've got millions and millions and millions and millions of awesome good things that God has done for you. And yet you're focused on the problems that you've got. And you just magnify those things until they're so big, it just overwhelms everything else. And some of you may be thinking, oh, but you don't know my situation. You don't understand, man, I've got children that are rebellious. I've got this, I've got that. And you, you focus on all this, but you know what? You are blessed, blessed, blessed. You're above the ground instead of below it. The Bible says, if you have breath, you ought to be praising God. If you were to thank God for, man, look at the beautiful place that you live in. Look at the nice weather that you've got. Look at the country that we live in. We've got freedoms that most people that have breathed on this planet only dreamed about. Most people lived under slavery and under oppression and stuff, and we've got freedom. We've got prosperity. You can get around. You can drive. You can use things that other people have never had. We are blessed, blessed, blessed. Man, we are blessed. We are some of the most blessed people that have ever walked on the face of the earth. And if you were to think about all of your blessings and think about all of the good things, by the time you get to the few things that are wrong in your life, it would just minimize them so much that it's not that big of a deal. And even if you do have real problems, which we do have real problems, and I mean, if some of you are really in a bind right now, if worse comes to worse, you could be like Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If every time you see light at the end of the tunnel, it turns out to be another train, then just close your eyes and think about heaven and think, Father, if I never get healed, I'm going to go be with you. I'm going to live forever and there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness. And thank God for heaven. And if people never appreciate me in this life. Someday I'm going to be in your presence and I'm going to be comforted. If I never prosper in this life, which God wants you to prosper, but if I never see it happen, I'm going to live in a mansion on streets that are paved with pure gold. And God, you could get so excited that you would be like the apostle Paul that says for me to live in is Christ and to die is gain. I'm in a straight between two. I have such a desire to depart and to be with Christ, but it's more needful for you that I stay here. If you were to think about all that God has done for you, all that God has planned for you, you could be so excited and rejoicing. But I can guarantee you, if you are fighting depression, you are not thinking about all of the good. You are not a thankful person. You're a complainer. And you're saying, but it's my, it's my hormones. It's my chemical imbalance. No, it's not. Those things are a byproduct of your wrong thinking. I don't doubt that people with depression have chemical imbalance, but it's not the chemical imbalance that caused it. The chemical imbalance is a result of it. It's just like I read a survey in a magazine on an airplane And this survey, they spent millions and millions of dollars in 10 years. And they came to this conclusion that people that smile more are happier than people that frown. And so their suggestion was smile more and you'll be happier. That is stupid smiling doesn't make you happy, but being happy makes you smile. And they said they saw this correlation. And so they said, smile more. No, be happy and you'll smile more. Smiling is a result of happiness. It doesn't cause happiness. They spent that, our brain, our brilliant people spent millions of dollars on that survey. Well, I don't doubt that people that are depressed have chemical imbalance and you can give them some chemical and affect it and dope them up and numb them to the pain, but that's not what caused it. What caused it was you thinking on bad things. Thinking on bad things will cause your chemicals in your brain to go weird. Your thinking can affect your physical body. People who are bitter and angry and strifeful, you can see it on their face. It affects you. It affects your immune system. Your immune system quits functioning as well when you're living in strife and under stress. Your thinking affects your body. You know, you can put on one of these helmets, a virtual reality thing, and you put on a helmet and they can show you going round in circles, or going over a roller coaster, and you never move and you'll get motion sickness, and you'll throw up. Your thinking affects the chemicals in your body. But what do you do? Change the chemicals? No, change your thinking. Start thinking how blessed you are. Start being a person that just constantly thanks God for his goodness. And if Eve would have said, all right, before I get to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, let me go around and thank God for this tree and thank God for this tree. And let's just, you know, if if she would have spent five months thanking God for the 9,999 good trees and partaking of them. By the time she got to the tree of the knowledge, of good and evil, she said, who cares? God is so good. And she wouldn't have lusted after the one thing in creation that God told her not to have. But see, all of this goes back to that verse in, in Ephesians four eighteen. That if you start thinking like an unbeliever, if you start looking and allow words, this is how Satan came against Adam and Eve with words and wrong thinking. And this is how the original sin happened. And this is still how our defeat happens is that we let this unbelief of the world enter into us through words. And you, you need to take some authority over your life. You need to stop it. You need to make a decision. David said this, and I forget the exact Psalm now. It's either Psalms, I'm not sure. But anyway, he says, I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes. Man, if we were to make that decision, I guarantee you many of us would have to change our living room. We'd have to change some things. If we made a decision that, man, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and I'm not going to listen to death, I'm not going to listen to things that counter the Word of God and come against everything that I stand for and believe. And some of you again think, but I'm strong, I can handle it. You're deceived if you think that you can listen to ungodliness and not be affected by it. Don't be deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Man, we need to recognize that this is how Satan started the whole thing, was coming against the word. Anytime something comes against the word, reject it. Change it. Get to where all you think is spiritually minded and all you'll have is life and peace. It's really that simple. Amen. And the sad thing is we've got this huge volume of knowledge that we've drawn from the world. And most of us, we could put our knowledge of the word in a thimble and shake it around. It'd be nearly empty. And we wonder why it's so hard to have all these things happen. If you get into the word of God, the word of God, the truth will set you free. You sow the word in your heart and it'll bring forth fruit 30, 60 and 100 fold. This is really how simple it is. If you want change, take the word of God and put it in your heart. Meditate on it day and night and you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Joshua chapter one, verse eight. It's a a formula for success. Meditate in this word day and night and you will have good success. It's the promise of God. It's that simple. Amen. Man, I just believe God's trying to really drive this point home. Many of you want different results, but you want to get it through prayer, through somebody bringing hands on you, through something else other than taking the word of God. You just need to take the word of God and meditate on it. Father, I thank you for these truths. And I pray this word over people. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will bear witness and help people to understand how important it is to control our thoughts to keep our understanding from being darkened. That we won't be alienated because of the blindness, the ignorance that is in us. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit just draws people to you and to your truth, that we would know the truth and that the truth would set us free. So Father, I speak these words. I believe that the Holy Spirit is using them to change people's lives. And we agree and receive that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. You know, let me say, I was born again when I was eight years old and I was truly saved. I was made fun of the very next day in school because they could tell that I had been changed and they asked what happened and I told them I got saved. My friends made fun of me. So I was genuinely saved when I was eight years old. But when I was 18 years old, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when I did, there's a lot of things that happened. I did eventually speak in tongues and we emphasize that because it's powerful. But you know, the number one thing that happened is that man, the word of God just came alive to me. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is just like unlocking the word of God. The Holy Spirit wrote the Word. He inspired people to write it down. He's the author of it. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, your revelation knowledge, your ability to receive the Word of God just comes alive. If the Bible is like a dead book to you, you read it and it doesn't do anything for you, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And some of you might say, well, I've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it's still a dead book. Well, then you aren't using what you've got. Because I can guarantee this is not only my testimony, but many, many, many people that have told me the exact same thing, that the word of God just comes alive when you receive the Holy Spirit. It changes your understanding. It helps your deep thought. The Holy Spirit begins to give you revelation. It says in John 14, 26, but when the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, is come, he will teach you all things and lead you into all truth and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have spoken unto you. Man, that's a powerful truth. And if you don't have this baptism of the Holy Spirit, you absolutely need this. You cannot continue in the word of God and have the word of God change you the way I was talking about today without this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody in here who would say, man, I need this and I would like to receive that. If you don't speak in tongues, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And some people teach, well, I believe I got the baptism without speaking in tongues. I believe it's possible, but why would you want it? It's part of it. It's like getting a pair of tennis shoes. They all come with tongues. Amen. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God gives everybody this gift of speaking in tongues. Do you have to speak in tongues? No, you get to speak in tongues. It's a tremendous privilege. If you don't speak in tongues, you ought to receive this. Is there anybody here this morning and say, man, that's me and I want to receive this gift. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. We've got a number of people with their hands up. Anybody else? We had, how many did we have last? How many? How many? 85 last night came forward and received this, but praise God, we want to give you an opportunity to come and receive. Amen. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you get up out of your seat and come forward? And we want to pray with you right here and help you to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just come forward right now. Let's praise God for all of these. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. It's going to change your life, sister. Awesome. Isn't this great? Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit actually changed my life outwardly more than being forgiven did. Being forgiven is when I got changed on the inside. That's, that affected my eternal destiny. But when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit began to draw out all of the things that were put in me at salvation. And I mean, it just transformed my life. Jesus said, you receive power After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And so this is what's going to happen to you. If you've already been born again, the power of God's already in you, but the Holy Spirit draws it out and starts releasing Jesus in your life. And it makes a big difference. Before you can receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit, you first of all must be born again you have to receive Jesus first. The Bible says he's the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. You can't receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues until first of all, you receive Jesus as your personal savior. So is there anybody up here who's not absolutely certain about whether or not you've made Jesus your personal Lord, whether you've been born again? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I need to pray with you first. And you need to make sure. Here's one lady down here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Here's another one. If you aren't sure, you need to pray. You know, the Bible says in 1 John 5 that we have a witness in ourself and we know that we pass from death unto life. When you get born again, it's not just an intellectual thing. There's a change that takes place. You get touched on the inside and you know in yourself that you've been born again. If you're just hoping that you're in right relationship with God, you're just assuming it. That's not good enough. You need to have a personal relationship with God. Is there anybody else who's not sure and that you need to pray with me? Anybody else? Here's here's another couple. Praise God. Here's some more down here. You know, the reason I emphasize this is because we've got lots of people today that they just think that if you're a good person and if you go to church, that God will accept you. And that's not true at all. It's not based on your goodness. It's all about whether or not you've made Jesus your Lord. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, that if you will confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Jesus already died to forgive your sins. So your sins are taken care of. It's not about whether God will forgive you, he's already done it. Now, will you receive this salvation? And you receive it by making Jesus your Lord. That's more than just mouthing the words. You're saying that, Jesus, I'm turning my life over to you. I'm trusting you. You aren't gonna do it perfectly. It's not a commitment that you'll never sin, that you'll never make a mistake because you can't fulfill that. But you're saying that you want him to be your Lord. You really want him to have your life. And if you will do that, then the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that good? So what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna lead all of you that raised your hand in a prayer and I'm gonna pray the prayer that you, a similar prayer to what you need to pray. And I'd like to ask everybody in here to pray with us so that they wouldn't feel like we're just listening to them. And as I lead you in this prayer, and as you say these things, if you will mean it in your heart, then you'll be born again on the authority of the word of God. Isn't that a good deal? That's awesome. Let's say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you now live in me. I am forgiven. I am am saved. saved. Right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You believe that? Awesome. Awesome. You believe that? That's great. Thank you, Jesus. Now, every person down here has prayed some kind of prayer where you've made that commitment. And according to the scripture, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says twice, that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So God created you to live in with his Holy Spirit. This is what he made you for. So you don't have to wonder, will he give me the Holy Spirit? You were created for this. God wants this more than you want it, but he won't force himself in. You have to open up. It says that, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I'll come in. And so you have to welcome the Holy Spirit in. So what we're going to do is just pray a simple prayer and welcome this filling of the Holy Spirit. We aren't going to beg and plead. Sometimes you'll hear people say that if you have any sin in your life, that the Holy Spirit won't come in. And that is not true. They'll say, God won't fill a dirty vessel. God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to fill. All of us have things wrong with us. And if you've got a problem in your life, that just qualifies you for the Holy Spirit. That's why God wants to give you this power is to help you to be able to overcome. So don't let some feeling of unworthiness or the fact that you got a problem in your life keep you from believing and receiving. God wants you to have the Holy Spirit. So we're just gonna pray a simple prayer. And then I wanna ask our prayer ministers to come up here. And these people are gonna stand behind you and lay hands on you because the Bible says that in the the Bible, through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So we're gonna lay hands on you and we're going to release this power of the Holy Spirit into your life. And it's going to happen. The Bible says you do it and it'll happen. And then I want you, after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking God to give you the Holy Spirit and instead take a step of faith and believe that he did it because he promised he would. It says in Luke eleven thirteen, 13, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's a promise. And so we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on, and then I want you to start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you feel like. Doesn't matter what you feel, you believe. And I want you to start thanking God out loud after they lay hands on you that he gave you the Holy Spirit. And at that time, I want you to lift your hands like this, because the Bible says, when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord is what the Bible says. This blesses God. It's just like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I yield, I surrender. This is your way of saying, oh God, I yield to you. It's like your spiritual antennas. And so we're going to lay hands on you. And then I want you to start thanking the Lord. And those of us that know how to pray in tongues, we're going to start speaking in tongues. And I just want you to switch over and speak in tongues with us. And I know that you probably got a million questions. I did when I first did this, but I've got a book that I've written that will explain the whole thing. And I promise you, it'll help you. Every one of you will be able to speak in tongues. And if you don't do it, it's not that God didn't give it. It's just that you aren't comfortable. You don't understand this book will explain it. But if you're ready, you can pray in tongues right now. Amen. The number one thing that stops people, they think that the Lord is going to force it. Like when you throw up, it just comes out and you can't stop it. That's not the way speaking in tongues is. It's very similar to like when I spoke today. I didn't just open, if I would have just said, oh God, use me and then open my mouth and wait on God to make it talk, nothing would have happened. I spoke. I thought of the words. It was me speaking. That's why it came out in Texan. I spoke, but I believe that the Holy Spirit inspired it. When you speak, it'll be the same thing. You have to make sounds and believe that the Holy Spirit is inspiring it. And after you get over the shock of it and get your attention on the Lord, you'll find out it just flows through you. You can speak in different languages. God will confirm to you that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but you have to speak. Okay. Y'all ready? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer and I I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you for these that prayed today and became brand new creatures. Thank you, Father, that on the inside, they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Old things passed away. All things became new. Thank you, Father, for every one of us be in the temple of the Holy Spirit. And right now we want your power. We want the anointing of the Holy Spirit to flow in us. We want the word of God to become alive and for you to speak to us through your word. So we open up the doors of these temples right now and welcome you Holy Spirit into our temple. We welcome you into our heart. We want your power and your anointing. Thank you, Father. Boy, that's the anointing power of the Holy Spirit present right here. We lay hands on you now in Jesus' name and say, receive the Holy Spirit. We loose this power to flow into your life right now in Jesus' name. Receive the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Now let's put those hands up and I want you to thank God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for giving me your Holy Spirit. Thank you for not leaving me alone, that from now on I have you always with me. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues. The Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks. So we're giving thanks in this heavenly language. And as we speak in tongues, I want you to speak with us. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you say, but your tongue's going to be different. It'll be unique to you. You won't be able to say what they're saying, but it'll get you started. And once you start, don't quit. Just keep speaking. Just keep speaking. Don't worry about what it sounds like. It's like when a little baby starts talking. It may not sound like a language. You may not think that this is real. But you know what, that heaven, that your father knows what you're trying to say, just like an earthly father knows what that baby's saying. You're speaking out of your heart. Talk right now. Glorify God. You're speaking heavenly things. You're bypassing your brain. You're bypassing all the doubt and the fear that's in your brain and you're praying out of your born again spirit. This is the first time your born again spirit has been able to pray without going through the filter of your mind. It's not your mind praying, it's your heart. And you're communicating with your heavenly father without any of that. Rostaki Bikaramad Bokorolom Biaram Mambra Yashike Lamakora Mambrandiki Kalaparotomba Hallelujah Hallelujah Man many 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 of these Are speaking in tongues Isn't that awesome Man that's the power of God Thank you Jesus Thank you Jesus Let me have your attention here for just a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you know, this is important what's happened to you. And even if you didn't speak in tongues, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit because he promised that he would. When I first asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues immediately because I'd been a Baptist. And I was told that this was of the devil. And I had so many fears and doubts about it that I just wasn't sure. And it kept me from speaking in tongues. But I eventually got my questions answered. I can speak in tongues with the best of them. And I've written a book on it. And I, I had probably as much problems speaking in tongues as any person ever has. And so I've written down all of my questions and the answers that God gave me. And I promise you that this would help you. And even if you didn't speak in tongues right now, God gave you that gift. You just have to get your questions answered and take a step of faith and speak. And you need to understand what the importance of this is. It's more than just something you do to prove that you have the Holy Spirit. It is a powerful gift that will give you revelation and understanding. So I want every one of you, if you would, to receive this book. And we've got Robert standing right here in this aisle with his Bible up. And he's gonna take you to a room that we've got where they'll give you a book. If you have any questions, they'll answer your questions. We aren't asking anything of you. We just want to bless you and help you to get the full impact of what God did. So if you would just follow Robert for a minute or two here, and we want you to receive. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Man, I had a couple of ladies come up here who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit last year and just were telling me about how it just changed their life. This is the most single life-changing thing that you will ever experience is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not the only experience, but I tell you, it's a foundation, something that gets everything else going. So I'm really excited about this. This is important. Awesome. These are our prayer ministers here. These are people that have been through a training with Robert and... Ashley and Carly and many of these are Bible college graduates, friends of ours, people that have been traveling with us and man, they know how to pray. And if you need prayer today, we want to give you an invitation to come and let one of one of our prayer ministers here pray for you. You know, I don't I'm not able to pray with every person and I don't need to pray with every person. It's Jesus that does the healing, and he gave me a promise all of us that if we lay hands on the sick, they will recover. So I want to ask you, if you need prayer, to just come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers pray with you. And we're going to believe God for miracles. Let me announce that we do have last night and this morning's services already duplicated on CD and DVD. And you know, these are the kind of messages that you need to go back through. And plus, you can take these home, share them with other people. And uh, it would be really good. So please take advantage of those along with all of the other materials. If you were one of those that got touched through ambassadors to the nations, Pastor Derry and Karen Jolly, and you wanted to be a part of what they're doing, be sure and stop by their uh, booth out there and sign up because, man, that is a good ministry. You would enjoy it. It'll be a real blessing to you. The rest of you, you're welcome to stay and pray. We had a lot of people healed last night as I was calling out healings. You're welcome to stay and pray with us, but if you need to go, you're free to go. And we'll see you tonight at seven o'clock and tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. And then tomorrow night, Saturday night, it starts at 6 p.m. instead of seven. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We've got people standing at the aisles that are gonna direct you towards somebody so that everybody won't just come down here and crowd in. Please cooperate with them if you would, but we're gonna we're gonna get every one of you prayed for. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, we just believe that every single person here has already had their healing paid for by Jesus. Jesus, we believe that you've already borne this sickness so that we don't have to bear it. And you gave us this authority and told us we could lay hands on the sick and they would recover. So we do what your word says. We lay hands on them in the name of Jesus. And we believe that every single person is being healed. Every person, every single thing that everybody straightens up. Eyes are open, deaf ears are open. Pains are gone, tumors are gone. Father, we thank you for your healing power flowing through our prayer ministers here. And we just believe, Father, for miraculous results, total healings in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, we agree and we receive it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your healing power. Thank you, Jesus.